Welcome to the Safe Passage for Children of Minnesota podcast. Safe Passage for Children's mission is to ensure that Minnesota has a child welfare system in which children are safe and can reach their full potential. This series of episodes will take a closer look at our short weekly policy blog, or eBrief, to give you an inside look into Minnesota child welfare legislation, policies, and practices happening right now in Minnesota affecting abused and neglected children, as well as those who work with or care for them. It is our goal that this podcast is educational, informative, and bold, increasing collective knowledge on these issues, as well as raising our voice to speak up for the needs and the safety of vulnerable Minnesota children. If you know someone who cares about children, be sure to share this podcast with them. Stick around for this week's eBrief podcast episode featuring Safe Passage for Children's Executive Director, Rich German. This blog, or eBrief as we call it, for Friday, December 17th, 2021, is entitled, What's Worse Than Going Into Foster Care? It starts, This, just when you thought it couldn't get worse, New York Times article, documents a shadow foster care system, which tells parents to find their own foster care, or else the state will take their children. Now, the quality of Minnesota's foster care system is uneven, as we have demonstrated in a number of articles. But a non-system like a shadow foster care system would be worse. We provide a link to testimony to a District of Columbia Human Services Oversight Committee, which details the consequences of such a system. The consequences include no path, to either reunification for the family or permanency for the child, no funding for services to the child or to pay the foster parents, and most importantly, that the child has no voice, no social worker, no guardian ad litem or lawyer to represent their interests, however imperfectly. Experts are quoted saying that the number of children in these shadow placements equals those in legal foster homes. Thankfully, this practice isn't happening in Minnesota as far as we know, and let's keep it that way. So the commentary is this. This New York Times article is, for me, one of the most discouraging things I've read for a really long time. And you can get a link to it from our blog, or you can look it up online. It was published on December 2nd, 2021, and the reporter's name is Lizzie Presser, and the title of the article is How Shadow Foster Care is Tearing Families Apart. And I also recommend that you click on the link I mentioned to the policy analysis on this phenomenon by Kate Piper, which she gave as testimony to this District of Columbia Committee also in December this year, and she gave it on behalf of APSAC, which is the American Professional Society on the Abuse of Children. This testimony is not yet the official position of APSAC, but probably will be shortly. And more on her recommendations later. First, the Times story tells about two sisters who were really close, but they were torn apart The Times story tells about two sisters who were really close but were scattered 
by a series of random foster placements not part of the foster care system and that left their relationship frayed. The article quotes experts saying that the number of children in shadow foster care is approximately the same as those in legal foster care, and we'd like to see more evidence for this statement. Uh, This particular statistic didn't have a clear citation, and it's difficult to see how they would get this number, since one of the main points of the article is that this shadow system is highly unregulated. So figures would not show up in the National Child Protection Database or the National Foster Care Database. Similarly, since parents would have no day in court to determine, by the way, where they really did have to relinquish custody of the children, you know, was it really necessary? Even going to look at the court records state by state, which would be prohibitively time-consuming, would not shed light on these numbers. But there is enough information in the article to assume that shadow foster care is real and it's a substantial problem. The reporter states that the door to this shadow system is often a safety plan, which is ideally a child protection process where parents agree to steps that will keep their children safe and would sometimes include having them staying with friends and relatives either temporarily or from time to time while the parents address the issues that got them to the front door of child protection in the first place, such as drug addiction or outbursts of violence. And safety plans are a standard process in child protection if children are in that system. But apparently some states are using these safety plans to completely divert children to a friend or relative without the parents actually getting into child protection. And some states call this kinship diversion or voluntary kinship placements. And in this, sometimes parents are pressured into giving up custody of their children without due process. So one question is, is this beneficial to the child? And it depends only to some degree on the quality of the alternative placement. And this is illustrated by the Times article because one sister went to a stable setting and did well, while the other went through a number of disastrous settings and may never fully recover. But I'd say that even if a setting is a good one, The fact that it's not a formal placement means it lacks the protections for both parents and children that a formal foster care system and child child protection system provides. It's interesting that the article partly blames President Reagan, whose massive cuts to family programs during the 1970s became just a major driver of policies and practices ever since. Among other things, Reagan's cuts reduced other support services that wrapped around child protection and ironically made child protection the service of first rather than last resort. But the article equally blames the Annie E. Casey Foundation, a liberal foundation, for promoting the idea that, hey, diverting families from child protection was a policy that promoted good family values by keeping parents and children out of government control. Well, I have more to say about this, but let me just say a couple of sidebars to that point of view. First, looking at the history of Annie E. Casey and its, uh, its sibling Casey Family Services over the years, we are reminded that it has become hard to tell the liberals from the conservatives anymore because they both emphasize parental control and parental rights to the point that children are essentially overlooked by public policy. 
Second, I just want to point out that the New York Times article makes a common misstatement that needs to be corrected every time we hear it. It's the point of view that adverse lifelong effects that foster children experience in many cases is due to foster care itself. So foster care is bad. That's the source of the feeling that foster care is bad. But much of the research points to the fact that these adverse consequences were caused by what happened to children before they were in foster care. So poor adult outcomes like being involved in crime or being unemployed, inability to have stable relationships, drug and alcohol abuse, they're tied by the research much more clearly to the abuse and neglect that happened prior to children being put in foster care. And in fact, the majority of adults who were in foster care, according to surveys, say that their placements were necessary and a good thing for them. So all of this is yet another reason to question the amount of emphasis in public policies on so-called family preservation approaches. And these are approaches which actually preserve the control of the parents, the control they have over the children while they are allowed to continue damaging the child members of the families. I don't see how that is family preservation. So we do want to see more information and data about how this shadow foster care system works, but to whatever degree it exists, the APSAC testimony does an excellent job of pointing out the pitfalls of these arrangements. First, relatives may not see anything particularly worrisome about the home situation. They might easily side with the parent's point of view and blame the children. I personally have noticed time and again that when child protection complaints are brought forth, friends and relatives almost always identify with the parents rather than the children. They think the abuse didn't happen or it's not as bad as child protection makes it out. And when you think about it, that makes sense. The parents are the ones that we as adults have the relationships with primarily. They're the people we're bonded with, not as much bonded with the children. That's how these relationships work. So Without appropriate vetting and a social worker being an independent set of eyes and ears in the situation with the kin caregivers, there's a good chance that relatives will perceive the parents to be the victims of child protection rather than children being victims of the parents. Also, if unregulated, relatives often allow access to the children by the bio parents. I've seen this a number of times. As a result, they may get the children to, first of all, change their stories. Or the physical abuse might continue, or in some cases, sexual abuse might continue. Echoing what we found out from the Hennepin County Citizens Review Panel report on kinship foster care, and by the way, the Hennepin County Citizens Review Panel does excellent work, Kate Piper notes that Kim sometimes agreed to take a child due to family or social worker pressure, but not really be in a position or really interested in carrying out that commitment long term. And then one other thing, finally, let's be real here. Relatives often come from the same dysfunctional family system and therefore may themselves continue to abuse the children or come up with new forms of abuse. And there are stories to that effect in the New York Times article. Now, let's be clear, the the issue here isn't placement, isn't kinship placement itself. Often, when done with appropriate vetting and support, kinship placement is really the best available alternative to staying with bio parents. 
The issue is diverting parents and children from the legal system entirely and consequently not having much of a handle on what's happening subsequently with the children. But in the legal foster care system, parents and children have due process in ways that they don't with this shadow system. Often both of them have lawyers, or at least the parents do, to represent their interests. The court is going to want to know how the department determined that the children were abused or neglected. And someone needs to make the case to the judge that it really is necessary to remove the children. Workers are required to make reasonable efforts to provide the services to either try to prevent the breakup of the family or to help the family reunify and also to help the child recover from the abuse. And if the child is placed out of the home, there's a plan either for timely reunification or some other permanent arrangement for the child, such as adoption or transfer of legal custody to a relative. In addition, when kinship foster care providers are licensed, they get financial support and children presumably get the services in the case plan. But none of this happens if children are diverted to some informal arrangement with no oversight. So in her testimony, Piper points out the catch-22 situation that we don't have data or research on how kinship diversion is working because we don't know who the children are. We don't know, do children change places more frequently? Do they have more trauma? Are they reunified as frequently? Do they age out and do well? We don't know any of that. Another nuance of these arrangements is that physical custody may be transferred to a relative, but that doesn't include legal authority. In the case of one of the girls in the New York Times story, she went on to live with a 20-year-old brother, but the fact that he was not her legal guardian meant that she couldn't enroll in school, except as a homeless person. Other life circumstances that require a legal guardian, such as receiving medical care, are also in limbo. So Piper ends with a series of recommendations, which I won't go over in detail, but do commend to your reading. They include that children who are diverted to kinship placements should still go through all of the formal protections provided by the child protection system. Caregivers should be vetted, as with any foster or kinship placement. An investigation or assessment should be done, as with all cases, and the results included in the case records. And kinship care providers should be provided with the information about how they can become licensed and get foster care payments. And both children and parents should be provided with independent legal representation so everybody receives due process when they are being separated. And as well, data should be maintained on kinship diversion cases just as with any other child protection or foster care situation. So in closing, my thoughts about this whole shadow foster care system are that we think of the United States as a beacon of fairness and compassion for children. Yeah, well, let's get real. However widespread this shadow foster care system is, it's a blot on our national character. If you weren't around in the 1980s or haven't read about this history, Nicolae Ceausescu was a Stalinist-style dictator in Romania from 1966 to 1989. His combination of crushing poverty brought about by his failed Soviet wannabe economic planning, 
and the prosecution of women who had abortions meant that there was a surplus, huge surplus of unwanted children. There were an estimated 100,000 children at any one time stuck in grossly underfunded orphanages who grew up without much food, you know, suffered malnutrition, and grew up without the kind of stimulation that is necessary for infants and toddlers' minds to develop. So the orphanages produced a generation of children who were malnourished and severely mentally damaged and who consequently either died young or often spent their lives in prostitution and crime and other forms of dysfunction. We tend to think that believing in Reagan's motto of government is the problem, not the solution, is some sort of noble expression of American liberty. What it really is, instead, is about being too selfish to contribute to the common good, even to the minimal extent of just paying for the basic services that are necessary to keep children safe and clothed and educated. We like to portray ourselves as a people who love our children, but what we really love more is having the freedom from any legal accountability for our children so we can control them, harm them, we can use them however we want without interference. And if we see someone else doing these kinds of things, we feel justified in saying that it's none of our business or the government's either. If we are honest, there is a very long-term and increasingly dominant strain of our national character that resembles more the world of the Romanian orphanages than it does the idealized image we have of ourselves. And this will continue as is and get worse until we decide to put an end to it. Well, with that, I want to thank you, Rich, for sharing your time and your expertise on these issues. Again, if you know someone who cares about children, be sure to share this podcast with them. Until next time, this is Safe Passage for Children of Minnesota, working to ensure that Minnesota has a child welfare system in which children are safe and can reach their full potential. If you would like to learn more about Safe Passage for Children of Minnesota, please visit us on our website at safepassageforchildren.org. There you can sign up for our email list, read all of our eBrief blog posts, register for our free bi-monthly webinars, watch our featured videos, and more. You can also follow Safe Passage for Children of Minnesota on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and LinkedIn.